Club of Cleveland. Uh, I'm Pat Pastore, Regional President of PNC, which is a proud City Club member and supporter. It's September 10th and you're watching a virtual City Club Forum. We're here today for the annual State of Downtown Address in collaboration with Downtown Cleveland Alliance. Cleveland's economic comeback story continues to be written and it's critical that we successfully navigate the impacts of COVID-19. PNC's goal is to uplift the region by supporting economic development through investments, capital, and ideas. PNC continues to invest in the arts, education, and economic and community development initiatives. So the state of downtown is important to us as it is to all of you. The impact and measurable success that Downtown Cleveland Alliance has had on this community for more than 10 years is impressive and inspiring, and we are proud to partner with such a forward-thinking organization. Today's panel of leaders will share insights and best practices and address the challenges faced by city centers during a time of global pandemic and social injustice here in the US and across the globe. During today's discussion, they will answer questions such as, how are downtown leaders grappling with the impact of COVID-19 and demand for greater equity and inclusion? What does the future hold for office work, urban living and events? What are city, what are city building leaders in downtown Cleveland and around the world doing to plan for a more equitable and inclusive post-COVID-19 future? And now I'd like to introduce our moderator, Senior Idea Stream host and producer, Rick Jackson. Mr. Jackson is an award-winning journalist with more than 35 years of experience as a television and radio anchor and reporter. He's been on air in all 50 states and in foreign, foreign countries, and was the host of Ideas and News Death before becoming the Sound of Ideas host a few weeks ago. I now turn the program over to you, Mr. Jackson, to introduce our panel. Thanks, Pat. Always good seeing you, even under these circumstances. As he told us, today's panel will share insights and best practices, as well as addressing challenges faced by city centers nationwide because of this intersection of a global pandemic and increased calls for social justice here in the United States and across the globe. Joining us for today's State of Downtown Forum are Tammy Dore, President and CEO of the Downtown Denver Partnership, Inc., and the Chairman of the International Downtown Association. O.J. McDonald, CEO of the Association of Town and City Management. He joins us from London, England. And locally is Joe Marinucci, the CEO of the Downtown Cleveland Alliance. Welcome to each of you. Thank you. Thanks. Joe, you almost always start these sessions by a civic table setting for the discussion to come. But this year, the tables are far apart. The menu is disposable. The number of entrees way, way down. And we're eating outside. It's about <laughs> as solid an analogy as I can muster when it comes to business right now in our center city. Well, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. The, um, um, we are experiencing really uh, unforeseen challenges uh, with both the impact of COVID-19 and the powerful resurgence uh, of the fight for uh, um, racial justice. And um, in, in many ways, uh, the challenges we face are going to create some new opportunities for us. And, and um, from our perspective downtown, I think it's concentrating on those opportunities concentrating on strategies that will see us through uh, the near term um, and also position us so that we're a, a much stronger downtown, a much stronger community as we move forward uh, when we come out of the pandemic at some point in the future. OJ, London's home to roughly 8 million people, one of the densest cities in the world. Before we even dig into how we proceed, are you even optimistic people will continue to want to live in urban environments like that following the events of this year? 
Yeah, I hope so, Rick. But I, I, looking at London's case specifically, it could it could take a number of years before we get back to pre-COVID levels. I think for London as a city, it, um, it seems to be in this intersection where all of the worst impacts of COVID happen to impact London. So just to give you a flavour of some of the things we're facing, um, across our cities in the UK, and I, I believe it's similar in the States, um, offices, for office workers, people are just not returning back to work. It's a fairly um, portable job as people can work from home. There is not a, a lot of trust in public transport and London is very reliant on its transport infrastructure. We have to think about things like international tourism for the UK. That looks like it's going to be down this year between 60 and 80 percent. London is the beneficiary of much of that international tourism. So there's a lot of things there which London are challenged with. But what I will say is London has great people. As a city, it's been able to pull in um, really talented people for, for decades. And I think through its people, it, it will be resilient and it will innovate and find ways to, to bounce back. I think we all consider London to be one of our great cities. Do you think great cities, OJ, will survive while other cities suffer greatly? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I think as we move forward with COVID, we will all have to innovate. We will have to think about how we do business differently. We will have to think about how we share social exchanges differently. And I think those places open to innovation, um, those places that are entrepreneurial, I, I think will be those which will come out of this and, and recover a lot quicker than others. Sammy, how do we all become that great city? What is downtown Denver doing that keeps it attractive to so many young, talented professionals, even as COVID and dissension rip away at our foundations? Well, I think that we're experiencing so much of what every other urban center is experiencing mm -hmm. here in the States and across the world. And we've been a major destination for young talent. It's been one of our biggest strengths. I will say this, I'm extremely bullish on urban centers. I think we have about a 24 month window here in Denver where we're going to adjust um, to whatever this new normal looks like. But ultimately people return to cities and we're confident that young talent will keep coming back. Our issues as we move forward are going to really stem around affordability to keep and attract this young talent. Um, we also are hearing that this remote working concept um, or the exponential growth of remote working is actually in terms of tech companies beginning to um, have some signs of unproductiveness. And we are hearing from a lot of companies that what started out really strong is beginning to weaken in terms of deliverables. And in large part as well, um, they simply don't know how to integrate these young people into their culture and to develop their skill sets for the future. So that's a lot of what Denver's looking at. How do we get the young workforce? but how do we groom them and make them part of their company and the community so that they stay? For Denver and the other cities that you're in communication with all of the time, um, did you see a jump to implement new policy when COVID hit as if this thing would be with us forever? Uh, some places have done better than others. Some have a slow measured approach, some leaped. What do you think works better? Well, I have a grave concern about what's happening in cities across the country. Um, what we're seeing is, a lot of policy being crafted and pushed through that is addressing short-term issues in our communities, whether they be around economic development, 
business policies, mobility, you name it. We are not in this forever. And we must really have patience and take great caution and be very intentional about any policies we're passing in our city, uh, certainly at the state level, but most importantly at the municipal level, just jumping too fast to solve short-term issues with policies that will be with us for a long time. In that vein, Joe, we think about downtown Cleveland, home to the second largest theater district in the country, three professional sports teams, robust menu of activities and entertainment options. With so many assets temporarily closed to the public, how has the downtown association worked to keep the streets of downtown feeling at least a little vibrant? Well, Rick, if you really step back, I, I think a, a number of things. One, when we began uh, the lockdown uh, at the front end of the pandemic, uh, we recognize, for example, that our ambassadors were vital um, uh, to the, uh, uh, the feeling of safety and, and uh, cleanliness in downtown. So we made a strategic decision to um, uh, treat them uh, with the consent of the city of Cleveland uh, as uh, important uh, to the downtown. So we kept them in place. Um, and as we've gone through some of the issues that we've tackled, uh, obviously we had the civil unrest um, and uh, we had the peaceful protest on May 30th at Turk Island. Uh, and we've also had to deal with, uh, you know, some of the um, damage that occurred as a result of that. So we've been working very hard to um, animate uh, the space in, in many different ways. We've embraced uh, Destination Cleveland strategies for, for example, Clean Committed and Restart Cleveland. Uh, we know that in order for people to repopulate downtown, they need to be very comfortable that it's a safe environment and the establishments that they uh, 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 take advantage of are following uh, health and safety protocols. And, and by the way, I think that that's one of the things that's probably not going to go back uh, in terms of the new normals, uh, health and safety uh, is going to be uh, with us, I, I think, going forward in terms of how we approach uh, downtown. So again, things like outdoor dining, uh, uh, working with the city of Cleveland to uh, create uh, uh, strategies that allow uh, uh, enhanced patio seating, uh, taking the roadways and creating parklets and other establishments uh, uh, that allow more flexibility from a safety perspective. I think those are gonna be uh, obviously very, very important. The other thing we stressed uh, is as we've pivoted to a, a more of a virtual strategy and you alluded to this, Rick, in the opening is that there's still a lot to do in downtown Cleveland. Um, if you think about the museums that have opened, uh, if you think about the over 160 restaurants and retail establishment shops that are now open in downtown Cleveland, um, we are now uh, doing virtual curated tours uh, that people uh, uh, can um, self-navigate and things of that nature. Uh, for example, take a hike is transitioned in that way. So we're, we're building on uh, the fact that people still want to engage and experience downtown Cleveland and build on those opportunities uh, uh, and maximize those as we go through the pandemic, we know that uh, uh, the office market is not uh, returned to where it was in a pandemic level, and it's going to take a while for that to occur. We understand that. But in the interim, we're trying to work uh, proactively with partners to animate the space, to get people comfortable, and then to work with them to uh, uh, really reestablish downtown as a place that they uh, would like to visit. Vibrancy, I think, comes a lot from occupancy. Tammy, what are you hearing from the IDA network about the state of downtowns everywhere, especially the state of downtown office space? Well, certainly what we're hearing is that there's a slow return to work. And so let me just talk about employees um, and the occupancy in the buildings. We're hearing about 10% being kind of a running average of the number of employees that are returning to 
the high rises in our center cities. In terms of office, I think it's difficult to say whether some of these impacts on office are the market, um, which portion are just the market, which portion are, is related to the pandemic. Some of our markets are actually doing extremely well and leveraging the opportunity to take advantage of other companies leaving the market. But overall, there is no doubt the commercial market is being impacted and that vacancy rates are beginning to climb. What will be the end all you know, determinant of this final impact is if um, those companies that are willing to take advantage of lower rates move in and start to grow their companies in our center cities, taking advantage of the change in the market. Are there benefits of a place-based place work strategy versus a home-based strategy? Well, we know that employees that live and work in an urban environment actually tend to stay in their jobs longer than if they live and have a longer commute from their place of employment. So that's just one example of how place-based economic development is critical and helps stabilize companies. We also know it helps attract the best talent. And I think what I would challenge everyone now, even as you're looking at Cleveland and other cities across the country, is that, you know, you think about Dickens, a tale of two cities. That's what we're all in right now. That story was about resurrection and transformation, and that's what we're going through. So I think that cities need to think boldly about place-based economic development, both the tale of the city they are and the tale of the city they're going to become. So don't get mired and trapped in, how do we get through this and what's the office market now? Let's think about how we build our cities and how you build Cleveland to prepare for the market of the future. And if I could, Rick, add to, to Tammy's comment, um, we know that, uh, you know, for example, millennials and Generation Z are most likely going to be the most, if you think of this on a generational basis, most likely to be the most comfortable coming back and, and repopulating your urban environments. And, and that's exactly the, the talent group that, that we were targeting, both from downtown Cleveland, and I'm sure Denver and London was doing the same thing, uh, to, uh, uh, to pin our growth potentials on and bring in new that that you know recruitment of talent which again attracts businesses and some of those underlying elements are going to continue um, companies are still going to be looking for talent they're still going to be looking for locations where they can track talent and again as long as we can maximize those strategies and remember the basics if you will the blocking and tackling I think we will continue to to move this move through this proactively yes there'll be a, a period of some adjustment um, you know will there be uh, some changes in the five-day work week? We don't know, but what we do know is people want to be with other people. That's where they're most creative. That's where they're most entrepreneurial. Well, Joe, based on those hopes and on what Tammy was saying earlier, what trends are we seeing in downtown Cleveland's office market now as we start to hopefully come out of this? Well, right now we're estimating in terms of our job base about uh, about 30% of, of, of our base has uh, uh, been reintroduced to, into downtown. Um, uh, we have some anecdotal evidence that some uh, buildings uh, actually are closer to 65%, although I think that's probably a little, uh, little on the outskirts in, in terms of what we're seeing. Um, but we do know that as the year wears on, we're going to see more and more of our, especially our corporate folks, uh, uh, bring uh, their employees back into, uh, into downtown. And as that uh, begins to occur, we're going to see, again, more and more uh, economic activity as a result of that 
office space being um, being back uh, in, in the market, taking advantage of uh, our restaurants, taking advantage of our retail establishments. And that ha obviously has a, a dynamic impact in terms of the energy levels of downtown. OJ McDonald, you have experience working with the Federation of Small Businesses with a focus on retail. How's the retail environment in London adapting to the new normal? And can we expect to see significant trends or shifts going forward? Yeah, we're seeing major changes, I guess. Um, one one of the few silver linings we've got is that actually the changes we're seeing are on not necessarily anything new, but a, a, a rapid acceleration of a, a shift we were seeing anywhere, and that is a greater reliance on online retail. So yesterday we had a look at some of the figures, and throughout March, um, prior to lockdown, um, what we saw is footfall that falling steadily throughout the month. And that is what we believe is a lot of people hearing the news about the virus and being fearful about engaging uh, in some of our, our um, town centre locations within London. Now, what we've seen as a result um, is more people using online to purchase goods. Um, we're still getting plenty of people shopping, but as there isn't necessarily... Um, the busy office market in the centre of London, which we would have seen pre-COVID. Actually, a lot of that shopping is being done in some of the uh, um, outer London areas um, across the city, in the suburbs of the city. Um, so in, in in areas like that, actually, football is close to um, uh, recovering uh, back to normal. We've seen uh, a lot of our businesses adapt as a result. So they're starting to employ people more in the logistics side, um, employment in retail is very strong um, in some of those smaller town centres on the outskirts of London, but in the, the, the city centre itself, um, it, it, it is a real challenge at the moment. It is a real challenge. Joe, retail here, if not a struggle, was certainly a concern. Do we have hope that it can bounce back at least to where it was in a relatively short amount of time? Or are we looking at three, five years? Rick, I, I think a, a couple of things of note. One, we're, we're, we're you know before the pandemic uh, occurred, we we were looking at um, a population base that will be approximately twenty thousand people at the end of this year to the early part of next year. So if you think about it, that's a, a an important retail threshold, and and there are now projects in the pipeline that we think will continue the momentum of bringing more uh, people into downtown. So from our perspective, um, the retail uh, is going to follow residents. And, and, and if you think about it, that's uh, that's true in our city, it's true in Denver, it's true in London. So the more we can uh, continue the residential renaissance in terms of downtown Cleveland, the stronger long-term our retail uh, scenarios are gonna be. Now, having said that, Obviously, there's some uh, some things that are occurring uh, over the last six months from the retail perspective. One is maybe some old established um, uh, types of retail. Uh, you know, for example, in downtown Cleveland, Brooks Brothers closed, and as we know, that type of clothing seems to be less in vogue than it was before. So what that tells us is that uh, in downtown Cleveland, we're going to be looking for more the the, the boutique. Uh, retail opportunities, the regional uh, boutique, uh, regional uh, entrepreneurial opportunities, uh, probably less reliant on, uh, on maybe some of the national brands um, that uh, historically uh, had been part of uh, strategies for downtown. And I think those areas that, that entrepreneurial and that um, uh, uh, local strategy, I think, is going to bode well for us. And, and again, I think that uh, needs to be part of our thinking going forward. 
Okay, thank you. Just a reminder for viewers, if you want to ask a question of Joe, OJ, or Tammy, the number to text your question is 330 uh, is the area code, 330-541-5794. That's 541-5794. We'll be taking the questions shortly. Tammy, on your website is a quote about how a downtown belongs to everybody. That's easy to feel when we're celebrating New Year's or a sports championship or the orchestra plays in the square. Not as simple when it's civil unrest or businesses closing doors. What do you tell your 600 members about keeping the optimism that downtown is central to everybody's success? Well, the great urbanist Jane Jacobs said that downtowns or cities are for everybody only if and only when they are created by everybody. And that is really critical. We believe in our long-term vision for our center city that we will be the most resilient city if there's greater buy-in, greater ownership, greater input, and greater co-creation of what the city looks like. So we've had that philosophy for a long time. The trick is continuing to make sure that you're strategically implementing it. And I think it's, it goes back to cities are easy to like, but sometimes they're difficult to love. And I think that when you reach out and you try to create an inclusive city and engage people, you have to help everyone understand and feel why they love a city because that is the only way in which they'll commit the time and the energy to build the city that is for everybody. Um, we are working right now to do a massive outreach to primarily the neighborhoods to make sure that they really understand the economic impact of downtown where and how they can play a role on policy and helping residents understand that when they vote, how that vote matters and how it transforms the future of what our city looks like. So a lot of it's education, a lot of it's outreach. We are experiencing civil unrest, there's no doubt. We've had a significant amount of that as people want their voices heard around inclusivity. What I'll add to that is that the cities that don't have civil unrest or their cities aren't being used as platform for a voice are not vital and vibrant cities. So as tough as it is to take when damage gets done, certainly not advocating for that, but what it does tell you is that when people gather in your city, they love it because they believe it's a place their voice can be heard. So if you still have that, um, you're still on the right track, even if it doesn't seem like it during these times. Joe, follow that because she talked about the unrest. In the midst of the pandemic, we had the George Floyd death reactions and protests here and elsewhere. You mentioned that. Damage done was more than physical. Talk a little bit about how downtown Cleveland responded to the push for social and racial equality. Well, uh, from our perspective, uh, obviously both from an organizational perspective and from a downtown perspective, we knew we had to fully embrace um, the issues that were raised uh, um, by uh, the murder of George Floyd and, and the civil unrest that's occurred since then. Um, we fully uh, understood that uh, there is systemic racism that we as a community have to tackle. We fully embraced the city of Cleveland's uh, legislation uh, to, uh, uh, to uh, aggressively uh, uh, tackle the, the issues surrounding that systemic racism. And if you think back, one of the things that we, uh, and I'll, I'll be open, we, we, we recognize a couple of communities across the country uh, began to think about how to use public art uh, as part of that messaging and part of that unifying, uh, recognizing uh, that we had to uh, uh, be uh, open and confront some of the issues um, that the uh, 
that we were experiencing, but at the same time, uh, recognized that, uh, that there was a, a, an opportunity for us. So we created the uh, Voices of Cleveland uh, uh, initi um, uh, Public Art Initiative. Um, we've worked with many partners in the community, uh, both downtown and strategically. Uh, Ingenuity Destination Cleveland, Caramu House, uh, Land Studio to kind of create a strategy where we are able to identify some funds uh, and work with um, black artists in particular uh, in the community to create messaging to go on some of the plywood that was put up uh, on the windows uh, as part of the uh, the damages that have occurred. And since then, we've been able to animate um, with some really, uh, I think, constructive messaging um, that, uh, again, uh, doesn't shy away from the issues uh, that we're talking about but embraces them as a learning opportunity uh, uh, for all of us. Uh, and we've been able to expand the program. We, we now have actually um, uh, temporary uh, panels that uh, we have uh, showing in Public Square. We're going to rotate those. We're doing some additional uh, panels uh, in uh, uh, US Bank Plaza uh, and uh, over at Playoff Square. And again, the philosophy is we're going to use public and you're using public, public art as one of our strategies uh, to, again, both confront um, and constructively uh, deal with uh, the issues that, uh, that we're all facing. You and I, Joe, are among the thousands who are downtown every day. Do you think that message hasn't gotten out so that folks who haven't been here because they're working from home or for whatever reason don't realize that there is that turnaround, there is that interaction from the city back to the people? Well, I, I think part of our, uh, you know, again, working with Destination Cleveland on some of the you know, Rediscover Cleveland programs and, and some of the things that we're talking about. Yes, there, there is a, 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 one of the impacts, I think, to all of our downtowns is that people were given the option of working at home in a suburban location, and therefore they haven't necessarily taken the step of coming back downtown to revisit it. So we know, for example, if you come down and, 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 and you do an art walk and, and you see the images, um, and you realize the, the, the power of those images and the powers of those messages, we think, again, that's going to be part of our healing process and our unifying process, bringing elements, all, the, all of us together, uh, so that we can work proactively on some of these issues. And I do think it's a very, when you see it, it's a very powerful message. OJ, this movement, of course, roots in the U.S., but there have been marches and cries for social equity across the globe. What's the movement look like in London, around the U.K.? Have businesses there also risen to meet the moment? Yeah, absolutely. So um, for the benefit of your viewers, um, London and actually a lot of our big cities across the UK um, have seen uh, demonstrations in uh, solidarity with uh, what, what happened with regards to, to, to George Floyd. And what I can say is we, we haven't seen a sort of huge coordinated push to more towards greater social equality. Um, the UK does have its challenges as the US does, but what it has started is a, a conversation. So while um, a lot of our business improvement districts, our municipalities have had to deal with issues like um, demonstrations, protests in the middle of a pandemic, which can be a challenge, what we're finding now is that people are much more open about discussing inclusivity um, around um, how a town or a city is actually made up. In particular, I've just heard um, Joe talking about things like public art. Um, that, that has been something which has been at, at the forefront. We have a number of statues and monuments across uh, the city of London celebrating various people um, who have been key to uh, the UK's history. Now, the challenge is there is that some of these people are, are, are probably not 
um, always as socially inclusive um, as, as you would like. Um, the UK has its own history in terms of the slave trade. And some of the some of the monuments we have are testament to that. And so there is this big conversation about how we can reframe, remake our place to make sure people do feel comfortable with some of the things that are on show and that anybody can see a particular monument or a statue and say, yeah, that that um, supports my vision of the, the, the history of the UK. So that, that's a conversation which is currently ongoing. Inclusivity, Tammy. Um... The pandemic is disproportionately affecting people of color. Yes, Denver's only about 41% black and Hispanic compared to Cleveland, 64%. But how has the racial justice movement informed municipal response there and around the country to the pandemic? Well, it's really interesting. I actually think Cleveland is well positioned to play a very big leadership role in this entire conversation. Um, growing up in Flint and coming from Detroit, I can tell you that moving west, the discussions and conversations around whether it be social equity, um, social justice, um, diversity, inclusiveness is a very different conversation and tends to often in the West be a little bit more academic. And I would say sometimes it just swirls like this vortex of we must be doing something because we're talking about it. I find the fact that um, in the Midwest and, and in cities like Cleveland, things can be a little more direct. And I think that is a very, very powerful tool. So as you look at yourselves as a city, I think that you can really lead by helping people understand how to be much more direct in these conversations. Um, I, I think it's critical that we focus on a bias for action in terms of, I do believe this country understands that there are serious issues and I do believe it's time for action and here we're seeing some of that action take place in terms of how we build and design our public realm, how we implement policy around affordable housing. And in all of those efforts, we are now integrating a much bigger discussion about how it impacts people of color. Our black population in Denver is very, very small, um, probably eight to 15%, give or take in that range. But we are losing part of that population to the suburbs. Our Hispanic population is much larger. Um, so we're a primarily white community that um, I don't think is that comfortable talking about race. So I think you guys are ahead of us on that. I think we have a lot to learn from cities that have been dealing with these issues for a much longer time. And I, I really do challenge you, be a major voice and help people in this country be a little bit more direct about what it is we're trying to say instead of dancing around it. Joe, I, I don't know. Do you think that from your city? I mean, is that, do you think you're all a little bit more direct in the Midwest than perhaps you're hearing on the media from elsewhere? That's why I wanted Joe to answer. No, yeah. I, I think that we are. And, and obviously with, with the events uh, um, in, in terms of uh, uh, George Floyd's uh, murder in, in Minneapolis and, and what occurred here in our community, I, I think there is now a, a very direct conversation. Um, and it's a conversation that uh, is looking to be action outcome. Um, you, you talk about really the need uh, not to simply talk about things, but identify strategies um, that can be implemented and will have that, that can be measured and have results. So, you know, for example, um, we know that uh, 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 
you know, uh, minority-owned businesses are underrepresented in downtown Cleveland. We know that we're going to have to take a strategic approach and proactively identify entrepreneurs uh, and uh, uh, minority-owned businesses that we can uh, turn to and, and, and again, aggressively bring it into the portfolio in, in terms of the community here in downtown. So it's those types of things that I think we are actively talking about. And to Tammy's point, um, I, I do think um, we are uh, talking about it much more openly than we ever have, uh, and I'm not, not, not sure uh, in London, but but here it, it's quite uh, quite extraordinary. I think that uh, the level of dialogue that's occurring, and to Tammy's point, the the recognition that action needs to follow the dialogue. I think that's exactly what we're seeing here. It, it, it's that dialogue that has really been triggered um, by events in, in in the U.S., and I think that that has to be the starting point. Um, and I think with that dialogue, hopefully, we'll see our places be. Um, much more attuned to the needs of our, our diverse communities here. London is a very diverse city, so I think it is it is a conversation that needs to be had here as well. Okay, thank you all. Now we're going to turn to some audience questions. If you have questions for any of our panelists, please text them, and you can begin right now. 330 is the area code, 330-541-5794. That's 330-541-5794. You can also tweet them at the City Club, we will work those questions in. Our first one that does come in, uh, it says Cleveland struggled to build safe streets, parklets, etc. How have other cities overcome traffic engineering to make downtowns a better place to live? Tammy, I'll let you answer and then Joe. Great, thanks. Well, we're actually making some significant progress on this. And I do appreciate the emphasis was around safety because safety means a lot of things in an urban center. Um, we have worked to create streets that have many more uses in terms of um, adding bike lanes, expanding the size of sidewalks, and really trying to look at them more from a complete streets standpoint. And that's activated the economy. That's created a safer environment for people to move around, perception and reality. So overall, um, I think that from a physical infrastructure standpoint, we're making significant progress. But the reality is, is all of these things require funding and maintenance at a time when all of our cities are stretched to the nth degree in terms of their budgets. So it is important to make sure that cities plan and build that into the budgets for the long term, because some of that money is starting to get pulled away and it will have an impact. Rick, I would, I would add to that question that, that in Cleveland, uh, again, we were able to work with the city to um, uh, create some uh, enabling legislation uh, to, to allow some additional public right-of-ways to, to be incorporated into the footprints uh, for some of our uh, restaurants in, in, in particular. Uh, a number of establishments have taken advantage of that, um, maybe not as many as I had initially thought, but I think to Tammy's point, part of this needs to be um, uh, working with the, uh, the the business at the same time we're working with the municipality, uh, the city, to make sure that it's done in a safe manner um, but it also recognizes that in the future, again, the need for additional space, I think, is going to be one of the things that will be with us for a while. And in order for us to sustain, uh, especially our restaurants, uh, we're going to need to be creative. We're going to need to take advantage of those types of opportunities and, and use the right of way, use additional sidewalk capacity, use adjoining properties. If, if that property could be made available for some additional cafe seating. And all of this has been built into the enabling legislation of the city. Okay. Questions are pouring in now. Great. Continue that at 330-541-5794. Joe, uh, before the pandemic, Cleveland's population had been decreasing at a steady pace. 
Writer says, how has Cleveland positioned itself to attract talent during and after the pandemic? And I think Tammy talked earlier about the rush of people to Denver. How do we get a rush here? Well, I, I, I think a, a couple things. One, one uh, obviously, we, we have, and, and I could speak more, uh, obviously, appropriately uh, uh, for downtown Cleveland. We've created the type of place that young professionals, millennials, uh, want to live in. And what we found nationally uh, and in Cleveland is that um, people are making decisions as to where they want to live. And Denver, in many ways in the United States, a great example of that, that you move there uh, and then find a job. And what we're finding again is that, and what we found before the pandemic, and we think this is going to continue, uh, that talent uh, and attracting that talent is really going to be the, the economic engine. And again, it, 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 if we keep, we think, uh, in moving in that direction, keep creating the product that will continue to attract it, whether it's um, new apartments, whether it's uh, adaptive reuse uh, strategies, we think that that's uh, going to be very important. But I would like to pivot and say that we also know that uh, affordability and accessibility is going to be even more important uh, to our strategy for downtown Cleveland. Um, for us, we can't con continue to only build market rate housing in downtown. We need to diversify the portfolio. We need to create different price points. Uh, we know by doing that, we're going to be a much more inclusive downtown, a much more inclusive community. So our goal in the near term is to diversify that product mix to make sure we're creating um, uh, accessible housing across a broad spectrum. And we think, again, that that's going to uh, further embody our ability to attract talent. Sammy, we talk about not being Cleveland not being Denver. We're not going to be Philadelphia. We're not going to be Detroit. We're not going to be the new greater cities, Austin or Charlotte. Does a city have to look at its unique assets to make themselves resilient enough to lead the region out of crises like we're in? Well, I've always said that successful cities are first and foremost resilient cities. And you know what? Look at Cleveland. That's exactly what you are. I think you guys are incredibly well positioned um, going forward. I mean, affordability is your your ticket. That is your ticket. Affordability overall. Um, if you take lessons from some other cities, especially how fast they've grown, where they've hit the wall is when housing became too expensive or overall cost of living was too expensive. Right now, that's your chance. That's your chance to own that piece of the market, affordability, and to grow into it. You don't need to be anybody else. You are a beautiful city, uh, an absolutely beautiful city. Take that and make sure people know who you are. I think if there's anything that Cleveland um, can do, it's really just tell your story. I just tell your story. Right now, people are looking for places to live like Cleveland, and I think it's your chance to own it. Thank you. So another question that came in. <laughs> after they look at Denver, of course. I'm <laughs> yeah. very serious about that. I think that um, your culture, your nature, your parks, these are things that urban centers across the country are dying to make happen in their communities. You are resilient, you have that infrastructure, and now this is your chance to leverage it. Yeah. Joe, we'll put her on the payroll. Yes. <laughs> so next question that came in, what are the predicted impacts regarding the closing of larger entertainment complexes, such as Tower City Cinemas, which we just heard about a week ago, specifically in Cleveland, and then also I'd like the others to weigh in. But Joe, what are those impacts? 
Well, obviously, if you look at the underpinnings of a downtown, um, one of the key elements are, are these venues that bring many people uh, into downtown. Um, and as you know, um, uh, we are going, through, obviously, we're in a period where uh, most of the venues have not reopened, although, again, I, I would note that uh, a number of our museums, for example, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, the Science Museum, our aquarium are, are open, um, thereby, uh, obviously, pre-ticket uh, sales and by appointment, but, again, you can't access them. But what we're missing, obviously, is the large public gatherings that all of us in, in, in our work in downtowns uh, uh, promote and, and, and help create. And we're also missing, uh, again, we're, we're the, we have the second largest theater uh, um, complex in the United States outside of the Lincoln Center. We're, we miss those um, those performances. And, you know, until they uh, the, the arts community, for example, begins to work through the, the uh, scenarios that allow them to bring, uh, again, people back into those venues, um, we'll have to animate our spaces in different ways. And that's why I mentioned earlier, some of the incremental microwaves that were, were, were micro uh, strategies that we're employing, for example, uh, our, our self-directed uh, self take-a-hike tours are things that we're, we're working through in positioning. OJ, London's so much bigger, maybe the problem isn't as direct, but in some of the other cities in the UK, are you seeing things shut down that would have brought folks downtown? And what's the reaction? How do you fight back? Oh, no. I mean, London, this is a really big problem. And it's, it's a big problem for all of our big cities. Uh, it's a great question, actually. So obviously, London has uh, the West End, which is our version of Times Square. Um, theatres, cinemas, um, movie premieres happen there. It's a fantastic entertainment destination. And it pulls folks in from far and wide. Now, while I, I talk about the issues we've had with retail and that with retail, what we've seen is an acceleration of trends we were seeing anyway. The challenge we're seeing for a lot of our cities is that we'd, we'd always look to the future in terms of our, our city resilience and seeing that in being able to bring people together to share social experiences, enjoy arts, enjoy culture, enjoy events, enjoy the theatre. That was meant to be our, the future for a lot of our cities. COVID-19, it, it does have an impact on retail, but retail can still happen at scale. You can still go in and purchase what you need and social distancing doesn't really need to undermine that business model too much. That's very different if you're a business that relies on bringing people together. So a lot of those sectors we saw as the future for our city centers, they're the ones hurting the most. So at the moment, we just need to stop and pause and think about what is the future gonna be for our cities. I've heard Tammy make the point um, about that we can't rush into major change yet. It's probably just too early in this crisis to be making massive policy decisions. And that's absolutely right. We've got to understand what the future is for our entertainment, our leisure sectors, and understand how we can innovate to recreate some of those experiences while still adhering to things like social distancing. It's a massive challenge, but that's where a talented um population comes in to try and give you that innovation um and i i absolutely take the point that especially for our younger generation they want to socialize they need to be with other people we're quite concerned about some of the the mental health aspects of our young people just not being able to engage with each other needing to work with each other network with each other um and we, we think that might be the foundation to supporting some of these sectors in the long term in some way with a little bit of innovation. Thank you.
Let me stay with you, OJ. You got a question that came in that says, how do downtowns across the world combat the impression that so many resources go into propping up downtowns, neglecting surrounding areas? That's, that's, that's um, another good question. Actually, something we've been um, dealing with um, in terms of some of our conversations with our government. Our government has supported our cities initially with a lot of funding to support certain businesses, certain sectors um, in our cities through the pandemic. And we're getting to a stage where some of that support is probably going to be phased out and that could lead to a lot of business closures and a lot of devastation for our cities. And so there's, there's a debate going on in the UK at the moment. Is this money being used to profit businesses which under social distancing, under the current pandemic, are just not going to survive long term? And therefore, should we be using that money now to innovate and think of what the future might be and try and bring that into place? Or is that money actually being well spent and things will come back. We just need to put a bit more in to support those businesses a little further. It's a big question. Do I have all the answers on this? I don't. And I think part of that is just down to the fact that I think because we're still in the middle of this pandemic, a lot of the outcome will depend on where we go in terms of the, the health side of the virus. Um, will there be a vaccine available? That means life can return to normal um, within the next few months and actually our businesses will get through, they just need that a little bit of extra support. Is this something which is gonna be with us for two, three, four years, and actually the money we're spending is just propping up businesses that won't survive, and now's the time to think afresh and think about what new needs to come in. I think like Tammy said, it's probably too soon to make major judgments and make major changes in terms of our investment decisions, but it is a question, it, it is a conversation that's happening in the UK as we speak. Joe, there's been a lot of uh, accusations at our mayor about that, spending money downtown, not putting it in the outlying areas. So how do we combat that perception, whether it's right or wrong? Well, Rick, you know, from our perspective, um, we, we, we don't look at it as an either or proposition. We, we look at it as downtown is a neighborhood, uh, a vibrant neighborhood, uh, like other vibrant neighborhoods within the city of Cleveland. And we think, uh, again, working with Mayor Jackson and his team, um, we've seen uh, investment to support uh, uh, the, the growth of downtown. Um, but we also know that he also is investing simultaneously in many projects in many neighborhoods throughout the city. And I think, uh, again, sometimes we lose sight of that, maybe because it's downtown, the media concentrates more aggressively on it. But if you look at Mayor Jackson's portfolio, I would argue that he's done tremendous things in our neighborhoods. And again, if you look at his investment strategies, um, he's used many, many city resources uh, to create uh, not only the infrastructure necessary to the neighborhood level, but the housing and, and, and other types of amenities that, that are gonna be very important. So I, I think for us, we have this history of the debate, but I think the reality is that it's actually a very balanced investment strategy. And again, if you think of downtown as one of the major neighborhoods of the city, we obviously want to be in and continue to be part of the dialogue in terms of making sure that uh, uh, investment continues in, in, in our part of the world. Rick, if I can just add to that, when you look at cities, they define their regions. And in some cases, they define the state. You may travel all over the world recruiting companies to come to your region, but what they'll be thinking of is 
what they'll envision is Center City Cleveland. That's the brand, that's the identity, that's part one. Generally, these are the largest employment centers. So regardless of where people live, this is where they have their jobs. When you start looking at climate and inclusivity and where the biggest ideas come, it's all coming from the center city and or in large part emanating from that as well as culture. And so in some ways, as Joe mentioned, it's critical that we're investing in all surrounding neighborhoods and communities, but at the same time, we can't forget that the density and the power and economic drivers of our center cities and our downtowns really are the core and have been for hundreds and hundreds of years in this country. So we do need to shore them up because when we don't, they cost us way more money um, than they make us. Can I just back up what, what Tommy said there? I, I used to have a, a board member um, a few years back who used to tell me that our, our high streets, I guess, your version of Main Street, our high streets were the shop window for the wider region. Um, and someone's perception on that region would be based on what they would see in the very centre of that town or that city, where all the activity from across the region is sort of concentrated into this tight space. And if it's healthy and if it's vibrant, then the perception of that wider area is, is a strong and healthy one. And when you are trying to attract talent, it's so important to make sure you have a, a healthy, vibrant core. So I completely agree with that. Bold leaders right now are not a, are not afraid to pick favorites. And I, I think that this idea that everybody gets a ribbon that's kind of emanated through our culture um, emanates in politics at times as well. And I, I do think the best way to navigate a crisis and to prepare for the future is to set priorities and not be afraid to own them. Thank you. A lot of great questions coming in. Thank you so much. We won't have time to get to all of them, but we'll get to as many as we can. Uh, this one says, uh, well, first off, thanks to all of you for great conversation. It says, considering Cleveland's downtown, it seems there's been great success attracting and retaining important employment and institutional anchors. But presumably, there's a great demand for permanently affordable housing for families looking to access downtown jobs. And Joe, you mentioned this. Can you discuss projects that ask that are queued up to provide more permanently affordable homes. Are there things out there? I think we're talking rental and owning. Well, if you look at the, uh, uh, Rick, thanks for the question, the, 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 the downtown portfolio, uh, again, one of the things we do know, um, we, we did a housing study uh, that we completed at the end of 2018. Um, we uh, know that we need to, uh, again, diversify the, um, the, 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 and make more accessible uh, the housing options in downtown. Um, again, uh, uh, we're very pleased, for example, that the Millennial Group uh, very recently at the Centennial Project at Ninth and Euclid have announced uh, that they're going to be uh, uh, investing in 850 uh, workforce housing uh, 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 apartments uh, as part of that complex. So we need to, one, make sure that, again, we're working with the business community and the investment community to make those types of opportunities available and, again, to build um, uh, that uh, uh, diverse uh, portfolio for us. On the housing ownership side, uh, we are really at the front end of that question because uh, downtown Cleveland does not have a, a strong ownership base. Um, we are at the really the front end of, of exploring that. Uh, we know ownership is going to be important uh, across a broad spectrum uh, in terms of uh, uh, maintaining families in downtown Cleveland. And um, we're pleased that Kinez uh, uh, recently did phase one of a townhouse project on the eastern tier of downtown, um, but we hope to uh, create more opportunities like that. 
But again, downtown Cleveland has not had a long history in terms of uh, condo development or home, home ownership. And that's really one of the strategies of the next five years that we have to uh, get our arms around and, and really promote more aggressively. Yeah, thank you. You mentioned millennials there, and we've talked about millennials throughout the hour here. Let's talk about the younger kids, the youth, the teens. Question came in, how are the youth being engaged around city, social, and racial justice reform in Cleveland and in the other cities? So Tammy, let me start with you. How are youth being engaged you think could be strong for all of our futures? You know, I think that right now it's a little early and the way that we're seeing this engagement happen is through just demonstrations. I think that will begin to manifest itself into some strategies and next steps. We're also seeing it uh, heavily around um, expressing opinions and voices through art. Um, those are just some of the early places that we're seeing that generation begin to have a voice. But again, as I mentioned earlier, I feel these conversations are much newer here, um, even though the issues have been there for a long time. So I think we're going to better understand that over the course of the next 12 months. OJ, are we seeing youth activity, youth being involved in London? Yeah, I mean, I can't actually speak for London because I don't know of too many schemes in London which this would be relevant for, but certainly, I, I, we are seeing in some towns and cities across the UK, what they will do is alongside the municipality or the um, bid, some areas will actually set up a, a youth town centre partnership where young people can come in and actually have a say in how they shape the future of that town or city, which is quite an exciting development. And I think it's critical because some of the, the things we've observed in how uh, young people relate to each other, how they communicate through various forms of social media, how they look to engage in the economy are actually very, very different from what's gone before. And I think for those of us within the place management industry, those of us who are planners, there's a bit of a disconnect there. And I think the only way you really get over that is by engaging the the the, the kids and, and bringing them in to this system and giving them a say, giving them a stake in the future of their, their town or city. I think you, you've got, you must have some great viewers because these are great questions coming in. Yes, go. Yeah, I, I would add really, I think to the points uh, that both OJ and, and, and Tammy made, one, um, uh, public art, uh, and I mentioned the um, Voices of Cleveland Initiative. I think that's a great way to engage um, uh, youth and great engage uh, teenagers. Uh, again, that, that messaging, uh, I think, can be very powerful and very inclusive. Um, I, I think the, um, uh, the, the fact that downtown Cleveland traditionally uh, has been uh, not a strong family market. I, I think in the future, as we develop more housing opportunities uh, uh, for families and we're able to keep those families in downtown, I think the dialogue that, that you're describing, I think is gonna be uh, very, very important. And uh, again, Tammy mentioned the fact that a lot of our youth are participating um, in a lot of the demonstrations that we're seeing in the community. That's true in downtown Cleveland. Uh, and again, keeping that engagement going forward, I think is gonna be critical to the equity building that we're trying to uh, accomplish as a community. So um, the good news is that uh, since May 30th, all of the demonstrations in, in, in Cleveland, both in the neighborhoods and in downtown have been peaceful. And again, very well represented by the youth and, and, and by teenagers, uh, if, you, uh, if you have the, had the opportunity participating in some of those uh, uh, protests. I've got a question that kind of dovetails with that, and I don't know if it's in the purview of the Downtown Cleveland Alliance, but the question is what steps have been taken to protect future peaceful demonstrators and downtown businesses 
from individuals or groups intent on inciting violence and unrest. I know you talk with City Hall, so can you help, Joe? Well, again, I, I would just note that, uh, again, we did experience uh, um, significant violence, as we all know, on, on May 30th. The good news is I think um, uh, the, the mayor, uh, the police chief, and his team have responded very well. Again, there's been quite a few protests in downtown Cleveland and, and in our neighborhoods, and they have that two things. One is they've been peaceful, and two, we've seen any repetition of the of the damage of the violence that, that, we, that we've seen. So I've got a lot of confidence in the city, um, and as you know, um, uh, we historically have done very well in terms of, uh, uh, Tammy mentioned this, uh, uh, ensuring that downtown Cleveland is the epicenter of civic engagement, of, of uh, again, the ability to come together to have a civic dialogue about, about issues, to protest. Uh, we, uh, for example, uh, in uh, hosting the uh, Republican National Convention in 2016, we had a, a massive group of people uh, representing many, many different views um, and, uh, we as a community were able to uh, work with all those views and keep everybody safe. And uh, I think we can continue to look forward to that from the city's perspective. We heard another question here. We heard about how retailers are adapting to COVID. The question is what about other sectors hit particularly hard too, like restaurants? I know for instance, New York just today decided they can reopen and go inside, but our restaurants and hotels have really suffered. Tammy, what are we seeing around the country? How can we help well, some of the work that's been done early on to expand into the public realm has made a significant difference. For markets like Cleveland, um, how do you sustain that throughout the entire year? Um, is That's what we're seeing in the, in the really, really warm um, areas of the country. That's not going to be, be a big issue, but where climate um, and temperatures begin to fluctuate, it's going to be critical that there's easy access to the outdoors. That's the biggest thing we can focus on right now. I also think from a hospitality side of things, across the country and cities, we're seeing rather disparate rules for convention centers and hotels. And the cities that get that right and find the right balance are going to be the ones that secure these conventions going forward. And right now, I think we have some cities where it's so extreme, hotels and convention centers will have no way to function for at least a year and beyond, like hardly at all, where other cities are finding a healthier balance to make it happen. So I think it's continuing to look at policy and evolving that policy consistently and regularly and allowing everything to open up as the numbers support it going forward. Thank you. Last question, I'd really kind of like to hear from all of you, but don't give me a dissertation on this one, okay? Um, the question is, how do you like, how do you respond to headlines proclaiming the death of cities, talking about downtowns as ghost towns? Any truth to that? Um, Tammy, I'll start with you. I laugh. That's what I do. History has shown that cities are the epicenter for humans, and they will be now through this conflict, and they will be long into the future. OJ. Well, I'm, I'm honoured to be working in an industry where I can actually make a difference uh, to statements like that. So the way I react is, um, as I know most of our members will, is to make sure our cities are, are as resilient as possible and prove them wrong. Joe? And I would simply add, uh, uh, many of us uh, know uh, Richard Florida, uh, the urbanist and, and uh, uh, one that many of us have spoken with and worked with over the years. He rightfully points out in some of his recent articles that uh, 
Um, major cities have uh, withstood the 1918 pandemic. Uh, they came back through that resiliency. They came back because people wanted to continue to interact uh, in core cities uh, like Cleveland, like Denver, like London. And uh, we strongly believe that that will be the case in years to come. Thank you. We've been listening to Tammy Dorr, President and CEO of the Downtown Denver Partnership, Inc., Chairman of the International Downtown Association, Joe Marinucci, CEO of the Downtown, Alliance, Downtown Cleveland Alliance, and O.J. McDonald, CEO of the Association of Town and City Management. Thank you all for your participation today. It's been a great hour. Thank you. Today's forum has been sponsored by PNC. All of the City Club's virtual forums are sponsored by Bank of America, the Cleveland Foundation, Eaton, the George Gunn Foundation, KeyBank, Nordson, the Northeast Ohio Regional Sewer District, and PNC, and the many more generous members and sponsors and donors listed on their website at cityclub.org slash thank you. You can join them in supporting their work when you make a contribution online or become a member at cityclub.org. I'm Rick Jackson of IdeaStream. Thank you so much for joining us today. Our forum is now adjourned.